Well, we are starting off the year here as we're launching our overall church. So this is not a 2024 thing. This is something that we've been kind of asking the Lord and, and going over as a leadership team for some, honestly, for some years, um, and, and really diligently going after it this last year, 23, especially uh, towards the fall, in establishing a vision and mission statement for the church. And so last week, and I would encourage you guys, this is available in the back um, in, our, in those folders or slots back there on the sound booth. It's our vision and mission statement and then our core values paper. So if you don't have one of these, I would encourage you to grab one um, just for the next few weeks. And then, of course, this is on the website, and I'm sure this will be around um, for a long time. But as we are looking at it, I want to encourage you guys to, um, to have this in your hand for the next few sessions that we're doing as a church. Um, so last week, we talked about our vision statement. We commissioned and we prayed and we declared this is our vision statement before the Lord, and now today, mission statement. So our mission statement is to gather, equip, and commission disciples of Jesus. I want to go ahead and look at the notes real quick. Mission and vision. So letter A here. Our vision statement is what we presented last week. Describes what we believe is the will of the Lord for the future state of our church family. We desire that this vision inspires us and directs us towards what the destiny of our church will look and feel like. So here this last week. To glorify God by walking in faith, rejoicing in hope, and being known by love. So, down the road here, a day or two from now, <laughs> we hope to look out at every member of our church, everybody who's connected with us, everybody that we are doing life with, and we're seeing that they're living a mature, fruitful life of glorifying God, walking in faith, rejoicing in hope, and being known by love. Now, letter A under mission, so Roman numeral 2, letter A, the mission statement will serve as the definition of priorities that we set before ourselves to do as a church family in order to walk into that vision. So that's our vision. How are we going after it? Well, here, here we go. We're going to gather, equip, and commission. Okay, we're going to set these three things as priorities in our lives and in our church family. So let's look at each one of these things. Number one, to gather. The intentional gathering of the people is one of the paramount commands of the will of God in Scripture. This is a really interesting study. Even in the Old Testament, the command of God, gather all the people together. Bring them to me. I want to meet with them. Rarely did God ever meet with you know, just one person. And if he did, he commissioned that person to make a gathering. I mean, a lot of the prophets, Moses, Moses, set my people free. Why, Lord? Because I want them to come and gather before me and worship me on the mountain. Okay? Obviously, there's more to it than that. But it was bring the people unto me. Nearly every aspect of growth in God requires intentionality and interpersonal relationships, whether it be aspects of love, fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, 
testing of their faith, etc. Now take that sentence and I'd say, okay, how much would you grow in God in aspects of love, patience, goodness, kindness, these kinds of things? Fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. How good would you grow in the gifts of the Spirit or your faith being tested if you never did life with anybody else? This wouldn't happen. So God designs the bulk of our growth in Him to necessitate relationship with one another. We have to be intentional about it, or we remain stagnant. And so we're going to look at a few of these gathering ideas. I'm going to pull this from Acts 2.42 and 46. If you guys want to turn there in your Bibles, it's going to be our first scripture and So this is the post-ascension, Jesus has ascended, the church is walking in a whole new paradigm, you know, as the Spirit's been poured on them, they're they're figuring out how to do life and discipleship and growth in God apart from the Messiah being on the planet telling them how to do it, walking it out. And so here's what they do, Acts 2.42. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided among all as anyone had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, in the breaking of bread from house to house, and eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And so, post-ascension church life, as they were taught by the Lord, they're walking out and notice they continued what? Acts 2, 46. Every single Sunday. Let's look at Acts 2.46. Let's pop that one up there. So we can look at it. Thank you, buddy. How many of you guys appreciate Neil? Neil Umali running screens this morning. We love you, buddy. What's it say? Every Sunday, they went to church. They broke bread from house to house once a week in life group. That's not what it says. (laughs) It says they continued daily. Now, this is an interesting thing to actually place before us and say, come on. Surely they had jobs. Surely they had life. Surely they had, you know, could they really gather daily? Did they really gather daily? And... The short answer is yes and no. <laughs> what it's speaking of here, and as I've looked up, you know, verbs and verses in, in different aspects, that the church as a whole was meeting together daily, but not every member was there daily. Okay? So as they, as they grew in number, they went from, this is around four, 5,000 believers now in the city of Jerusalem. And they were continuing daily in going to the temple, 
in a home somewhere daily, there was taking of communion, and that, and we'll get into what that meeting looked like. And there was also the daily gathering and fellowship of believers. And it was such a value that it happened daily in all three of these categories. So in other words, what did their life look like? I'm not exactly sure, but if it was the Fry family, my guess is we would go to the corporate temple gathering a few times a week. We would go to one another's house and do a life group type setting once, I don't know, maybe twice, and then we would make sure that we were fellowshipping with fellow believers in a, in a way just to build relationship, okay, and just to, to grow that bond of love together. So let's look at this. In the temple daily, this really means in the temple daily. So there was always a gathering every single day of the saints in the temple in Jerusalem. Let's look at Luke 24:53. We'll pull that one up. Luke 24, I'm going to you can be on 53, but I'm going to read just a few verses ahead of time. Now it came to pass while he blessed them, that he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. So that's Jesus' ascension. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. 1 Corinthians 14.23 makes an interesting... Uh, uh, he says something real interesting here. 1 Corinthians 14.23 now, Paul's in this process of explaining spiritual gifts and how it works. He started in chapter 12, talking about how every, the spiritual gifts, don't be ignorant, how to use the spiritual gifts, what they're for, how to you know, navigate all the differences and, and honor one another and do it in love and for growth and all that. Um, he focuses in love on, uh, in chapter 13, operating in spiritual gifts and love. And then chapter 14, he gives instructions for corporate gatherings. How do you do gifts in a big group? And one of the things he says here is he said, therefore, if the whole church... Now, this is it's not something that he says a lot. He talks about gatherings often, but he goes, hey, there are times when the whole church gathers. And I think this is interesting that he makes this distinction as something that would happen regularly, that the whole church would gather, even though... He's addressing many other times how it works in the one-on-one, how it works in the home. And so here he says, in the gatherings when the whole church comes together and you're doing ministry, here's how to walk out tongues in prophecy. Breaking bread from house to house. So there is a priority. The point is, what does it mean when we're setting a mission statement here and we're saying we're going to gather we're talking about a corporate gathering. This is something so valued by the church. They, I believe they were, were commanded, taught by Jesus to do this, and they needed it. Number two, they broke bread from house to house. Now, the language here in the book of Acts is very specific. The reason why they met in homes was to take communion together and to focus on the Lord, specifically. So this wasn't a gathering to um, just get together and celebrate someone's birthday or to play games or just hanging out. It was very specifically ministry-geared gathering. They went there to take communion together and to focus on the Lord. We'll also see that they, they focused on 
growing and recognizing spiritual gifts as well. But this was an intentional gathering. Daily, this was happening in the church. There was always a gathering like this every single day that you could go to. They met in small groups in homes to take communion together, to encourage and admonish one another in the Lord and to practice the gifts. 1 Corinthians 11.20 says this. Now when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? So there's a charge or an idea that there is something to do with when we gather together, taking communion together is something of a daily practice for Christians, and it helps build us in our faith. It helps grow us in love, that there's something specific about eating communion together. And and to be honest, gang, this isn't something that we've done super well at Restoration Fellowship. Right? And I just I think that we need to, as we're, as we're looking at this in our life groups and in our church services, I do not think we currently line up with this. I'll just throw that out there. In my own life group and in, in what we do on Sundays, we're like, well, we should do communion, so let's get it in. There was a different value on it uh, for the early church. And I, I just feel like the Lord wants to bring us into that in 24 and in, in the future. And let her see here, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity in heart. Now, what's interesting is in the original language, there's a separation here in the book of Acts when he says, they gathered in house to house and broke bread, and then there's like, and they also gathered in house to house and ate together. That's the way it would read. So it wasn't like they did some serious God stuff and then they hung out and played bingo at the end. And that's probably okay if they did that. But the point is that they met together to gather to grow in God, and then they met together to gather just for the sake of fellowship and love, with no agenda. Besides, let's grow together. Let's share one another's burdens. How's your life? What's going on? Let's get together and connect. Now, here's the thing. There is something powerful about doing this that encourages your faith and grows you in God. It's so serious, and we just kind of, you know, this hanging out with one another just seems so, I don't know, unweighty. It doesn't seem weighty. You go hang out. But it's interesting, the, the, the weight that the Scriptures puts on it. And that's what I want to focus on in these, I'm going to show you a few verses here, where there was an understanding of what happened to you spiritually and how it how it grew you spiritually to hang out with certain people all right let's look at luke 529 levi gave a great feast in his own house and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them the scribes and pharisees complained against jesus and his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners Right? They're like, what are you thinking? You don't nonchalantly do this. All right? Now, we know there were some cultural things there about these were seen as, as sinners, but it's interesting, they weren't Gentiles. These were Jewish people. So it wasn't like they were breaking you know, that sort of 
of, of a liturgical command or anything. What they're looking at is like, don't you know that this is not helpful for spiritual growth? To do fellowship to this intimate level with unbelievers. Now Jesus is like, I'm Zach, exactly, but I'm here to help them. They're not here to help me. <laughs> right? So I'm here to hang out with them. Acts 11.3. Now this is an interesting one. Acts 11.3, we're talking about years of early church history. I don't know. 10, 15 years before the Lord brought Gentiles into the fold. Right? This was a brand new thing. And Peter, you guys know the story. He's fasting. He's on the Lord's day. He's on the roof. He gets the vision of the sheet. He gets invited to Cornelius' house. And then what happens here is interesting, is that he ministers to them, they get saved, and then he proceeds to just hang out with them and eat with them in their home. Acts 11.1, now the apostles. Let's picture the right group of people now. We have the apostles. This is James. This is John. This is... This is the apostles of Jesus. They come to Peter and they say this. What are you thinking? We heard that you fellowshiped with Gentiles. That you ate in their home. Peter's like, let me explain, guys. He tells them the whole story. You went in with uncircumcised men and ate with them. So we got to look past... Surely, the apostles and Peter were free of some of the, you know, the bindings of maybe culture saying you don't eat with certain people, right? They're loving people all the time. They're moving in this. I think the apostle John was pretty good at loving people, right? He's the, you know, the, we read the letters that he writes. John confronts Peter and says, hey, you're eating with these guys. Interesting, Right? Let's look at Acts 16.34. Now this is the jailer, the Roman jailer who gets saved, I believe. And, And he gets saved and then it says, He took them, this is Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night, washed their stripes immediately. He and his family were baptized. And now he brought them into his house, and he set food before him, and rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. This is interesting. Like, okay, what's the next step of Christian growth for me? Let's just hang out. Would you guys come and just eat with us? Where is he getting that from? Well, I believe there was a... You see Cornelius do it as well. He's watching the Jewish Christians... And then he's like, hey, you guys are doing this fellowship thing so often. I'm saved now. Can we do the fellowship thing? Can we hang out and eat together? Can you meet my family and let's talk about life? This Roman jailer does the same thing. And there's a weight to it, right? There's a weight to it. And I think we need to recognize that there is a a powerful dynamic 
a dynamic of we, we are wanting to be intentional about just being with other believers and doing life. It's not a breaking of bread. It's not some official. There's not a, you know, a schedule of how you're going you're gonna to sing 20 worship songs and then lay on hands. I like that. We need that in our gatherings. But there's also the power of just gathering with believers. All three of these things were happening daily. My question is, when did it stop? I don't have a record of it in my Bible. They decided the gathering daily was just too much. And so they went to once a week. What we see is this was a continual practice. I have a couple of quotes here. Go ahead and flip the page. I have a couple of quotes here from the early church fathers. You guys ever heard of the Didache? You guys ever heard of that? Many people call it the Didash or the Didash, and it's actually the Didache, and it doesn't even look like that, but that's how you pronounce it. It was a, a collection of early church father writings. So these would be the disciples of the apostles, and so on, and then their disciples. For, for the first, you know, probably 100 years of church history, they got these writings together of church fathers, and they put it in a book called the Didache. And you can read it. It's helpful. It's not scripture, but it's helpful. And in the Didache, it says, here's a command for the church. We're talking about post-150 years of Jesus walking on the earth. Every day, seek out the faces of the saints so that you might be refreshed by their words. Ignatius, one of the church leaders, said this, Hey, when you assemble frequently in the same place, I care, what I see is that the powers of Satan are broken. Come on, gang. Whoa, really? When we just get together, the power of Satan is broken in our lives? Let your assembling, because of that, get together a lot. <laughs> right? This is his commandment as a church father. I want to look at one verse and then we'll move on from this gather, gather together. Hebrews chapter 10, 25. This was a popular one that we were really looking at during COVID, right? Everybody was asking this question. Because we were shut down of, you know, kind of had a governmental command not to gather in large groups. And we said, hey, look at what the scripture says. Don't abandon meeting together. Some passages say, do not forsake assembling together. Now, what's interesting is we all went Sunday morning church. That's where we went in our mind. Like, this is what it's talking about. The assembling together is a Sunday morning gathering. Don't stop doing that. But gang, that's not what Scripture actually says. I'm not saying it doesn't say that Sunday morning gatherings doesn't apply here. But this command, Hebrews chapter 10, was the daily assembly guy, right? This is his world. Whoever the writer of, of, of Hebrews was, he was in that group of early Christian fathers who there was a daily gathering of the saints in the temple, in homes, and in fellowship. This was constant. And he says, hey, you're gathering together daily, and I want to command you this. 
Don't ever stop. And then he says this. This is a habit of some. They kind of, they make a priority out of doing this, but the priority begins to slack, and they don't keep up the intentionality, because gang, don't you know that it takes intentionality? It takes a prioritization of your schedule. It, 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 it's, it's going, where, what is the weight that I put on this? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't ever lose that weight. This is so important. And he says, encourage one another. Now he adds this, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day is he speaking of here? He's speaking about the return of Jesus. And the very signs that you might see that give you indication you're drawing nearer to that day. And the writer of Hebrews says, when you see those signs, you're already gathering together daily, step it up a notch. Why? Because the writer of of Hebrews, all the writers of scriptures, and Ignatius, the church father, says, when you gather together, you grow, and the power of Satan is broken, and that day is weighty and dark, and when you see it coming, gather together all the more. All right, moving on. So we're, we're going to make a priority out of gathering. Equipping. Many translations use the word perfecting and equipping interchangeably. That's interesting to me. So to be equipped, we think about kind of giving people tools, you know, to do things, and I think that's good, but it's actually primarily the understanding of is that being equipped actually causes your faith and your your Christian walk to be strengthened, it perfects you. It causes you to be more complete in the Lord. All right? In Christian culture today, we primarily use the word discipleship to, to express what it looks like to equip or to perfect one another, to encourage one another. There are three primary aspects in Scripture when it comes to the equipping of the saints. We all need continual encouragement, admonishment, and accountability from one another in three things. So these three things are primary. And gang, I want to tell you this. These things take place because you're gathering. Right? These things happen. They happen in the gathering. And so when we gather, we want to make sure we're doing these three things. A, equipping in truth. Whether it be the initial work of evangelism, so someone's first introduction to Jesus It's about teaching them the truth, the word of God, about what it says about repentance and salvation, right? Without that truth, they're not saved. They don't understand. So, the primary equipping that happens first in the believer's life is they're established in the truth. And this doesn't stop. It's the perfection of the mature saint to know the truth fully and completely. The ongoing necessity of being grounded and fueled by the truth found in the Word of God remains paramount. And I want to give you a couple of verses. 1 Timothy, let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Timothy, hey, you guys are doing church over there in Ephesus. Awesome job. You're gathering daily. I want to tell you this. Until I come, give attention to the reading, the exhortation, and to doctrine. That's truth. Do not neglect this gift that's in you that was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. 
Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress might be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine or truths. Continue in them. For doing this, look at this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Timothy clearly has some sort of anointing to teach doctrine or to bring doctrine, right? He says, this is, this is a gift that's in you. And he says, doing this is for your own soul, in his own personal life, and for those that he would teach. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And, and there's other verses here. I got them on the, scripture, or on, the, on the page there for you. 2 Timothy I'm sorry, yeah, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture, we know this one, but, but grab a hold of it in a new way, maybe. All Scripture is inspired by God, is beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. Go ahead and go to 17, if you would. So that the man or woman of God may be fully capable and equipped, there's the word, for every good work. How? Through Scripture, through the reading of Scripture, through the training of Scripture, for exhorting one another in the Scripture, for giving yourselves to the truth. So when you gather, do this. Number two, equipping in spiritual disciplines. The teaching, admonishment, and establishing of the primary spiritual disciplines such as prayer, worship, repentance, serving, giving, and gathering. The scriptures refer to these disciplines as good works. I just like that. So much better than discipline. Justin, do the disciplines. Ugh. Justin, do the good works. Yeah. I like that. So the scripture calls these disciplines, these are intentional, you sit down, you say, I want to make a priority in my life of prayer, of worship, of giving, of serving, of, of examining my heart and repenting of sin as a discipline, and the Bible calls these good works. Okay? 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19. So let them do good that they might be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves, underline this or highlight it or just in your mind, if you're not an underliner in your actual Bible, they're storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they might lay hold of eternal life. So these good works are more than just you expressing love of Jesus to people, though it is. These good works are more than just, you know, getting yourself kind of um, positioned to understand God's heart and, 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 and practicing these spiritual... They're actually building something in you, an endurance or a, you know, you're shoring up for future testings of your faith. Titus 2. We'll look at this one real quick. Or let's just go to 3.8. Titus 3.8. This is a faithful saying that I want you to affirm constantly. 
that those who have believed God should be careful to maintain good works. What does that mean? It means that when you gather with your friends and when you're talking to them, he says, I want you to affirm constantly in one another that there's a pattern of the spiritual disciplines of good works in their life. And if they're not, kind of pull them out and say, why? I want to call you to this. Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are, are you examining your heart? Like, what has the Lord showed you lately that he's, he's working on in you? He goes, affirm one another in this. Don't ever stop doing it. Do it continually. To maintain good works. Because they're good and they're profitable. So you're looking at your friend and doing this. You're saying, hey, God's got so much more for you. So I just want to see how you're doing in your, in your spiritual disciplines life. Let's go ahead and flip the page. Equipping in spiritual gifts. So when you gather, you go after spiritual gifts. Fostering an environment of desiring, recognizing, and practicing spiritual gifts permeates the New Testament scriptures. It is everywhere. It is continually connected. Now this is interesting. Spiritual gifts, prophecy, healing, tongues, all the, you know, the, the ones you think of primarily, spiritual gifts, are connected to over and over the believer, the growth of the believer, more than the growth of the church numerically. Now, I grew up in a culture that we were contending for the miracles, signs, and wonders of God. We were contending for prophecy and healing so that we could win souls. You know, Lord, give us signs and wonders that people would come into your kingdom. And that's, that's good, and that's okay, and that's right. But I want to tell you that the primary giving of spiritual gifts is actually for the growth of Christians, of the brothers and sisters in the body. And yes, it brings those from the outside into the body, but primarily, and I'll prove this to you in a minute as we go through the Scriptures, that it's for the nourishing and blessing and building up of one another, that's why we have prophecy and tongues and healing and the gifts of the Spirit. Let's look at a few. Romans 1.11. I think Paul here, right? If you, if you look at the book of Romans... It's primarily mostly about correct doctrine concerning Jews and Gentiles and salvation through grace alone. Romans, it's the pinnacle letter of salvation by grace, right? We always go back to Romans to learn about how salvation actually works. Soteriology and all this, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. We look at this. Paul, as he's got this strong theology to bring them so that he can straighten them out in their understanding, their faith. But he goes like this. He, when he originally writes the letter, as he's writing to the Romans, look at what he says. For I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to Christians. He goes, I want to I come there because God's going to give you spiritual gifts that are going to what? Establish you. They're for you, and without them, you won't be as established. That's so interesting to me. 
So Paul, he's like, I want to teach you about salvation by grace. Are you kidding me? This is paramount teaching. He goes, but, but I long to come so that spiritual gifts might grow in you more in the, in the body. 1 Corinthians 12, we know these passages. He says, I want you to desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now, this is interesting. The Corinthian church, how are they doing on spiritual gifts prioritization? How high is the priority of practicing spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth? It's high. It's really high. These guys, they're in, almost the entire letter, Paul's addressing how they're doing it wonky. Right? Like he's like, spiritual gifts, you guys. You guys are all over the place. Like most of us would step in and say, okay, shut it down, the spiritual gifts a little bit. Let's get back to doctrine. Let's do some other things. He actually says, okay, church that's just growing in spiritual gifts and seeing them everywhere, I want you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts more. You're not doing it enough. He tells them this, because you're not praying in tongues enough, you're not prophesying enough, and I want the Lord to increase it in your midst. It's like, what? These, this is the church that's doing it? Like, why didn't he say that to the Romans? I don't know. It's interesting, right? So he talks about this. But if you read it, the whole thing is these spiritual gifts are for you, Church of Corinth, every part of the body, giving the other part of the body what it needs to grow, what it needs to be nurtured, what it needs to come to the fullness. Ephesians 4, you guys know this one, it's the fivefold ministry, right? We're pretty familiar with this passage. Jesus ascended so that he could pour out a spirit and give gifts to men. He says, so he gave these gifts in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teaching for the salvation of unbelievers. Is that what it says? God gave these gifts in the church so that people would get saved. So churches would grow in number. Nope. Primarily for the equipping of believers, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Because the Lord's taking you somewhere to the perfect man, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. We're going somewhere, and in order to get there, spiritual gifts need to be in our midst and practiced and encouraged and, and, and done and promoted, you know, that like we need to be, and like think about if you took this out of the passage and just said, I want you to go for the fullness of maturity in God, do it without the spiritual gifts. That would be an absolute foreign concept to the Bible. All right, finally commissioning. This is the idea of being sent out. This is the idea of when you gather, you are, you're doing equipping, and then you are actually encouraging people to walk out the increased levels of their faith and their gifting. You are purposely recognizing a gift that's in them and calling it out. You're perfectly, you're, you're actually recognizing a place that God is encouraging them to walk in, and you're calling it out and saying, go for it. This commissioning idea, this is a big deal, 
And what's interesting, I'll just point out a couple of things that, and I just don't think the church is very intentional about this. We, we're not really got our eyes saying, what, what is the Lord calling this guy into? Or what is the spiritual gift on this person? How can I encourage it? So being commissioned or sent out in the new covenant family of believers is never a unilateral work. It's not. Never. It's never unilateral. It's never just in sitting down and saying, what am I called to and what's my spiritual gift? And that's what I'm going to do. That's interesting to me, right? It's always so they prayed together and the Holy Spirit highlighted someone's gift, someone's calling. They encouraged him in it, laid their hands on him and sent him to do it. And that's how it was recognized. It's interesting to me, right? So the whole premise is that in the gathering and in the equipping, commissioning was happening, and that's how it was growing in the church because it was recognized by everybody and approved by people. It was never the guy coming in, I just want you to know I'm a prophet. And so recognize me. That's not how it worked. Right? It worked. Look at even for Paul. We'll go to Galatians. I think I put this in the notes. Yeah, there we go, Galatians. Paul, he has so many personal encounters. He went to heaven. He did all this stuff. He was 10 years um, in one city just doing his own thing. Miracles, signs, and wonders. He was out preaching everybody and, and this kind of stuff. But he was unrecognized in the church. He was actually not kind of, they were just kind of like, I don't, don't listen to that Paul guy. All right, now he, it says I, that Peter, or I'm sorry, James, Cephas, and John recognized that there was a gift given to me, and he gave me and Barmanus the right hand of fellowship. They laid their hands on us and said, Paul, we see a gift on you, and we want to commission you and send you out to do it. Now, Paul uses this as his, as his kind of credentials. He doesn't say, by the way, I've been to heaven a couple of times. Jesus spoke to me audibly. Listen to what I have to say. He reaches out to this church and he's saying, I'm reaching out because the, the apostles have laid their hands on me. They recognize the gift in me. And they've commissioned me. They've sent me here. This sending out and commissioning is was a priority of Jesus. We see it throughout the Gospels. Matthew 9, Matthew 28, the great commissioning, go out. I send you out. I give you power, and I send you out. Make disciples. So we want to commission. Amen. I want to have the elders come up. I'll come down here. Oh, yeah, let's get up. Yep. We can't be on, we get the back of heads on Facebook. So if you're watching on Facebook, we'll come up here for you guys. Thank you, Mark. So just as we just lay this before the Lord, we're going to pray into this. We're going to declare this. Um, worship team, you guys can come up.